Well, today we are in that first part of the series. We're also in the very first Sunday of the year. And we want to present, or I want to present to us today, sort of an introduction to the year, the theme for the year, and obviously something I want us to focus on as a congregation for, for not just you know, this week or, or this year, but I think something that, that I, the church would really be focused on um, for always. And so our theme is an engaged church. And I know a lot of you are like, oh, we're talking about getting engaged, you know, an engagement, you know, and there's a lot of that happening. And so, sure, we, some, some years it seems almost like we are an engaged church because everybody's getting married, but that's, that's cool. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about, that kind of romantic engagement. Um, what is the first thing that pops in your mind when you hear the word engage? Well, what sort of image, you know, pops into your, into your brain? I'm guessing for some of you, because you're staring at sprockets, Maybe sprockets, you know, or spokes, or, or those kind of things where one thing turns, everything turns, you know. Um, for others, it might be relationships. This idea of engaging with other people and, and developing deeper relationships and having these, you know, lasting kind of relationships. Um, others, it could maybe be something like a puzzle. I know I've done more puzzles in the last few weeks than, you know, we'll probably ever do again. I don't know. I love it how uh, we're like, oh, let's buy a puzzle so that we'll help you make it, but then that didn't happen. But anyway, uh, we've been doing lots of puzzles. And so maybe you're thinking of this idea of engaging, connecting, you know, as a puzzle piece and and those sort of things. Communication, that would be another thing where it's like, you know what, we can communicate and, and, you know, we're not just throwing words at each other, but we're actually engaging in conversation. We're engaging in dialogue and, and, and we're connecting at a much deeper level. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, uh, images and stuff like that that we could throw out at you and say, you know, this is what engaged maybe looks like. This is, you know, and I'm sure some of you have your own, own stuff right now in your heads too. But let me ask you a few questions. Have you ever been forced or, um, to, to accept something that you didn't want to accept? You know, has anybody ever told you or, or forced you to just say, you know, deal with it? That's the way it's going to be. Now just work with it. You know, whatever. Um, I'm sure that has happened to at least one or two of you. Um, have you ever been t- forced to be somewhere you didn't want to be? A school tomorrow. <laughs> you know? Or for some of you, it might be work. You're like, I don't really want to go to work. I don't really want to be here and stuff like that. But, you know, you're sort of forced to be somewhere you don't really want to be. Or have you ever had to work with somebody you didn't really want to work with? Um, I'm sure, again, for all of these questions, the answer, you know, has been yes for at least some of you. Or if not, um, all the questions, at least for a couple of the questions. And here's what happens when we are forced to do something that we don't want to do. Or when we're, you know, we're told to do something we don't want to do. Or when we're told to be somewhere that we don't want to be. This is not necessarily true for all of you, but... um, Okay, boys, leave the lights alone. I'm getting dizzy. Um, This is not true for all of you, uh, but um, I think what happens most of the time is when we are forced to do something we don't really want to do, the tendency very often is to do the bare minimum, right? It's like, well, I don't really want to be here. I don't really want to work with this person. I don't really want to, you know, have to be whatever. And so without being like mean-spirited or anything, we just kind of like, okay, you know what? I'll just do the bare minimum. I'll just do enough to get by. You know, I don't, I don't really want to do this, so I didn't want to do this, 
So I'll just do as much as I think I have to in order to not get in trouble. Now, I know that that's not all of us. I know very often a lot of us are like, you know what, I didn't really want to do that, but you know what, I know what needs to be done, so I'll just pour into it. But the natural tendency can be when we don't really want to be somewhere or do something or whatever it might be, excuse me, that we'll just kind of do the bare minimum. And here's one of the fears that we have is that it, that's taking place within the church. That I don't mind going to church, because I know I should. I don't mind being at church. I don't even mind giving. But I'm not really engaged. And so because I'm, I'm kind of here because I feel like I need to be or I have to be or whatever it might be, I think for some people the bare minimum is all they're giving. And what we're looking at as a church is how do we become a place You know, how do we find a way of engaging people in church so that we're not only giving the bare minimum, we're not only giving some, but we're going to give all, we're going to fully engage in what God is doing. It used to be that family is attended church no matter what, but gone are the days when people attend church 50 out of 52 Sundays a year. There are many, many reasons for why people are leaving the church. Lots and lots of books have been written about about this, and and they have answers to what to do and all those kind of things. But what we want to address in this year and in this series is is not only church attendance. That's that's not the, the, the majority of the problem. But what we want to focus on is connecting people. And, and finding a way to, to cause people to be truly, truly engaged with one another. Now, I want to tell you some stories. And these are not real stories. These are made-up stories. And I apologize. I'm not very good at picking names. So if you don't like the names of the characters I've picked in the stories, too bad. Um, and if I use your name, I'm really sorry. I wasn't thinking of you. Promise. Okay, here we go. First person I want to tell you about is Betty. Betty is 25 years old. She spent much of her life in church. She loves Jesus, has tons of friends on social media. She's gifted, but none of her gifts are highlighted in the church. She struggles to know how to fit in. She attends, but doesn't really know her place. She's an introvert, which makes it difficult for her to make friends. And because she's an introvert, she really prefers to be alone rather than with other people. Then there's Ted, Ted always wants to do something. Ted has two businesses on the go. He's always dreaming. He loves to see things happen. Again, he loves his church, but is frustrated at the slow pace at getting things done. So he pours his energy into non-church activities where things happen quicker, and he sees more immediate results. Jerry is loud and shallow. He can talk a mile a minute, but what, we don't, what people don't know about him is that the reason Jerry is always talking is because he has to be in control of every conversation. His biggest fear is that someone is going to press him on a topic or issue that he does not want to be pressed, in, pressed on. He always surrounds himself with people. He's at all the events, but it's always on his terms. Now Sally, Sally doesn't like who she is. She always seems to be the odd one out. No matter the topic, no matter the situation, somehow she always feels that she sees things differently than others. So Sally has learned to stay quiet. She just lets stuff go. She hates conflict. 
She is respectful of other people's opinions, but she has learned that other people are not necessarily respectful of hers. Then we have Barry. Barry is the guy who can't see past himself. He could be in a room full of hurting people, and he would want to talk about the fact that his Wi-Fi was out for an hour over the weekend. It's not that Barry is a mean person. It's just that Barry doesn't get other people. George. George has been serving in the church for 50 years. He's seen more change come and go than most people ever will. And now they are talking about changing things again. And this time, George just doesn't care. He's decided just to mind his own business, let those young people do what they want. He loves his church, but he really feels like he is no longer needed. Meet Matthew and Mandy. M&M, as their friends call them. Pretty clever, if I say so myself. They have a young family. They love the church. They love the programs at the church. Their kids love the church programs even more and will beg their parents to bring them. But M&M faithfully, so M&M faithfully bring their kids to church, but they feel that there isn't anything in the church for them. They want to be involved, and they feel guilty for often taking advantage of the programs without really giving back. But their lives seem so hectic that they can't imagine doing any more. With kids, programs, church, marriages, um, their marriage, finances, and now a new job, what more can they do? The opposite of M&M is Todd and Laura. The best way to describe them is lonely. They were both loners as individuals and now have slipped into isolation as a married couple. Truth is, they really have no close friends. Not because they're not pleasant people or likable, They never seem to connect with others at a deeper level. Again, they also love their church, but they find themselves skipping often and for the littlest reasons. People have tried to connect with them, but after a little while, it just takes too much effort and they give up. And this makes Todd and Laura feel horrible and leaves them feeling even more alone and they purposely isolate themselves to prevent it from happening again. Janice and Bob... They use the church as a last resort for absolutely everything. If there is anything else happening, no matter what it is, church will get skipped without any guilt. Or if they slept in even for a little bit, they'll just skip church, watch church online, and tell themselves we were at church. If there's a big financial need in the church, they might give if it is something that they are both passionate about. And then there are those whose situations are unique. They can relate to people on most things, but they have a few things going on in their lives that others just cannot understand or relate to. And so again, it causes them to withdraw. I could go on and on and on and on. And we could tell lots of these made-up stories. My guess is that with one of these stories you probably related to at least a little bit. And if you didn't relate to it, you probably had someone in mind for most of these stories. Now here's the thing. In all of these stories, there is a common thread. There's a a common theme that runs through them, and that is that these people are all disengaged in the church. They attend, they give, they're, they're involved, but they're not fully engaged. 
And what I want us to be careful of is when we think about engaging the church is that we cannot say, well, we'll do something and then everyone will be engaged. There is no way that the church can look at this idea of engaging the church and saying, well, this will work for everyone. Let me give you an example. If I were to say right now, I want you to stand up, don't do it, I want you to stand up and I want you to go shake hands with 20 people, there would be at least a handful of you in this room that would be like, oh, can we hug as well? Can we just, mm, mm, you know? You know, and you'd be like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. We get to go shake hands with people and give hugs and, and the holy kiss even, you know? You'd be so pumped. Then there would be a whole ton of you in the room who would be like, I wish I'd stayed home. You see, there is no way that we as a church can say there's one way that we will get everyone to engage. And I think that one of the dangers of the church and one of the things that the church has struggled with is that we have often tried to reach the same people or everybody the same way. For some people, one way will connect really well. For others, another way will connect really well. So when we talk about the church, we have to start with something that applies to everyone. We have to start with like a common denominator, something that we can say, you know what, we may not do this all the same way. We may not agree, you know, or, or feel connected or engaged in all the same ways, but we recognize that there is a common denominator. There is something in common for all of us that we must all do. And I want to give us today what I'm calling the four pillars of an engaged church. I believe that these four things need to be at the heart of the church. Obviously, we start with Jesus. Jesus is, we are the bride. We are the, the, the you know, Jesus' church. Jesus is the cornerstone. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the church. And, and some people have said, you know what, you know, I love Jesus, but I, don't, you know, I could care less about the church. I don't think that, the, that that's a healthy view. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure that's a spiritual view. Because you cannot say, you know, I love Jesus, but I can't stand his church. Because the church is the bride of Christ. And I would really challenge someone who has that kind of a view because, I, you know, I think that that is a very, very unhealthy way. And so what we're talking about today is the church, the bride of Christ. And you and I have a role with which, a role to play within the church. And we're going to look at that in a little bit. So the place to go to this morning that I think is going to really help us understand where, where, we're, where we're going with this is Acts chapter 2 verse 42. In this early church, you see something that I think is often missing in today's church. So let me read it to you. Acts chapter 2 verse 42. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another, uh, to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So where does the church start? Where does it start for us as a church to be an engaged church? There's, there's a word here that I want us to really focus on. The first thing that we see in this church, what, what we see in this early church is that they were devoted. I think that concept of being devoted to something, applies to 
so many other areas, but very often when it comes to church, no one would really say, mm, I'm devoted to my church. I, I would get, guarantee that, you know, I'm not picking on anyone here or any, anything, but they, we would say, man, I am so devoted to my career. I'm so devoted to my university. I'm so devoted to, to my job. I'm so devoted to my team. I'm so devoted. And we could list all of these different things where I will sacrifice immensely for that. But when it comes to church, rarely do I hear people talking about being devoted to the church. Now, I know that that's not what the, the passage says here, but what you have to understand is that this was a church, not individuals in the church, this was a church that was devoted to four things. And I believe these four things are the things that we as a congregation must be devoted to. That we must be a church that is devoted to these four pillars. Number one, we read here that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they were devoted to the word. They were devoted to scripture. I take this to mean that they were devoted to the entire word of God. It wasn't only the leaders of the church. It wasn't only the apostles who were teaching you know, and, and were passionate about the word and were, were desperately trying to get the message of Jesus across to people. The church was devoted to the teachings of the apostle. The church was devoted to the message of Jesus. And again, this needs to be something that we are all devoted to. It cannot be that on Sunday morning you show up and this is the first time Scripture has been opened to you. It just doesn't work that way. When we come here and we have already all engaged in Scripture and throughout the week we have been reading and we have been studying and we have been, you know, in the Word as to say. Then when we open up the Word as a body, it is, an, you know, it is adding to what God has already been doing in our own lives. And when we have not personally been involved and engaged in the Word of God, we are only getting a small snippet on Sunday morning. What you see in this church is this was a church devoted to the Word. We see this in a guy named Stephen. Stephen was elected or selected you know, as one of the seven to help with the ministry. The apostles went, you know, and they said, hey guys, we need, you know, we need to elect some people because we cannot neglect the preaching of the word to wait on tables. And so we need some people to come and help wait on tables and, and help with the distribution of food to the widows. You could say this wasn't exactly a very pleasant ministry to get involved in. But here's what we read about, about Stephen. It says that Stephen was a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. What you got to know about Stephen is even though he was elected to do a task that maybe wouldn't receive a lot of praise in the sense of a spiritual role, Stephen was not just some leftover person who, you know, oh, he doesn't really have a relationship with him. Let's plug him in here. He was a man, part of the church, who was fully devoted to the Word of God. That even though he was doing something that many of us would look at and say, you know what, there isn't really much of a spiritual benefit to that. Stephen was a man who was so fully devoted to God that he, he did this in a way. He was more committed, he was more devoted to his church than to his task. And I think that that's a big one. I think sometimes within the church, when we serve in the church, we become more devoted to our ministry or to our responsibility than to the whole church. 
And then all we see, we put these visors on, and all we see in the church is our ministry, our task. And, and when that happens, very often, all we find ourselves, all we find happening is we become frustrated because all we see is, well, in my ministry, this is the only thing that ever happens. And suddenly it's like, ah, you know, what's the point? But when we are devoted to the church and when we are devoted to the word of God and to the word of God going out and reaching people, then we see the task that we are responsible for as a, contra- as a contributor, contributor to the greater ministry of the church. So that's the first one, that we need to be devoted to the word of God. The second one is this, that they were devoted to fellowship. This wasn't just, you know, Mennonite fellowship, you know, going to get together and have some buns and cheese and bread. Buns and would be bread. And never mind. Get together and have some, you know, light little meal and we'll have fellowship. You know, that's not what this is talking about. This is a biblical fellowship. This is, you've probably read all the one another's in the Bible. You know, love one another, care for one another, do good for one another, all those one another's. What this spiritual fellowship is fulfilling those one another's in each other's lives. What an amazing thing. And this early church took this to a whole new level. It, it says there, if, someone was in, if somebody was in need, they sold property. People sacrificed immensely in order for the needs of individuals to be ca- taken care of. Otherwhere in the book of Acts, you actually read that there was no needy person among them. That is taking the one another to a completely new level. This church was devoted to this kind of fellowship. Not just, you know, where we know about each other, not just where we hear about certain things happening in people's lives, but where we actually see ourselves as saying, you know what, if someone is hurting, if someone is experiencing this, if someone is, you know, going through this or this or this, that we actually come and feel that we need to be responsible for helping and assisting in those situations. Now, I know that's dicey, and we're not going to get into all that, but that's the kind of fellowship this church was devoted to. They were devoted to communion, to the breaking of bread. What this means was that they devoted themselves to remembering what Jesus had done for them. And if I can just say, I think that this is an area where we as a church can very quickly um, lose focus. That we have communion and we, we do, do those things. But the fact that we would, every single day, every single Sunday, that the focus of what we're about, the, the thing that we devote ourselves to is remembering what Jesus did for us. Now one of the added benefits that this early church would have had is that they would have people in their church who would have said, I still have a visual I still remember what it looked like when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And I'm sure that there would be others who would say, I still remember where I was when I was told that he is risen. And so this would have been maybe more fresh in their hearts and in their minds, and they would have maybe been, it would have been maybe more easy for them to be passionate about this. But this is something that the church must always remain passionate about. This is something that we must devote ourselves to saying, I will never forget what Jesus did for me. And then lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. This is something we've all heard about. We've all, we all know that we should pray. We may even schedule ourselves, you know, make a schedule for when we pray. We, we pray before meals, etc., etc. But this was a church 
this church was devoted to prayer. You see this many times. You see this when Peter was arrested and he's in prison. The church came together and they prayed for his release. They prayed through the night. When Peter and and John were arrested and they were before the Sanhedrin, the church was again together and they they were praying and they were praying. Sometimes I think one of the best things that could happen to us as a church is if I as the pastor or one of our other staff or one of our pastors would be arrested and persecuted. And you would be told, hey, right now, guys, if you don't pray, Pastor Ike may be executed. Or one of the leaders of the church would be executed. Because there's something that happened in this church when they prayed, it was alive and it was well. It was something that they were devoted to. You and I, we often, we hear about needs Oh, we hear that this and this person is going through this, or yeah, I heard this and this and this. But this church didn't only know about the needs that were in their church. They were devoted to praying for one another. These are the four pillars, and we are going to focus on these throughout the year. That we as a church are devoted to the word, that we are devoted to fellowship. I think that's probably one of the easier ones. That we are devoted to remembering what Jesus did for us. And that we are devoted to praying for one another. Now I want to give you an obstacle that we're, one of the obstacles that we're going to face. One of the biggest obstacles facing the church here, our church, is that very often today church is viewed as meeting the needs of an individual. So when people's needs aren't met, Their individual needs aren't met. They pick up, they pack up, and they go to another church. And because there's so many churches in town, there's lots to choose from. And I'm not ripping on anybody. I'm just saying this is going to be an obstacle. Because we might all of a sudden say, you know what, guys? We're going to cut some of this out. We're going to add some of this. Oh, I don't like that. Off we go. It's been over silly things like the music's too quiet. At our church. And so, well, I want to go somewhere where the music is louder. I want to go somewhere where this is, you know. And again, it's easy for me to to get irritated at those things, but that's going to be an obstacle. And so, one of the things we're going to have to focus on as a congregation is that we as church leaders don't panic and we as, as a church don't panic and say, oh, let's run after all these different things to try to keep people here. The lights that you see, the videos that we do, the sermons on, the, you know, the, the words on the screen and those kind of things. I just want to let you know right now, the reason we do that is for newcomers, not for regular church attenders. That's for non-churched people. We're reaching those. And so we're going to have to constantly go after all these little things to keep the people who are already members of the church. We will, just like I read with all these stories, there will be so many directions that we could go to and we will lose people. What we must do as Members of this church, as regular attenders of this church, is devote ourselves to these four pillars. And God will continue to bring people in, but this will be an obstacle. This is an obstacle in every church. Every pastor I talk to tells me about the frustration of people leaving the church when their individual needs are not met. This was a church in the early years, in the early church, this was a church where everyone worked to make it what it was. People were generous. They gave as they could. They ate together. They praised God. They were, and they were loved by the people as a result. See, the truth is we all want to be part of this kind of church. But the struggle, the struggle is this. The struggle for you and I will be this. 
that we want someone to create this kind of a church for us. And that's just not how it works. That's not how it works. What we must understand today is that we are all part of making church like this. That it is all it is on all of us. Clearly you have leaders, you have pastors who give direction and who give, who give you know, inspiration and those kind of things. But ultimately we cannot say, oh, I hope our board of elders, I hope they put together a church where we feel these four pillars are being, you know, people are devoted to these four things. This is something that we will all need to be engaged in and work towards. An engaged church requires everyone's commitment. And one of the mentalities that we have seen um, as a board of elders, and it's been addressed now and talked about a few times, and we're, we're looking at how we can navigate our way through it. But to put it very bluntly, one of the mentalities that we see in this church that exists here is that if it doesn't benefit me, I won't go. If it's not for me, then, oh well, I'll just stay home. Can I just say that that's a very unhealthy approach? Because there are going to be many times where we will be asked to be part of something in the local church that will never benefit us here on earth. Never. But the re- result of what that will happen, what, let me back that up. The result isn't just for what's happening here on earth, it's about what will happen in eternity and what, what we will see happen through what we sacrifice now. Again, Stephen is a great example of this. He was elected or he's selected to wait on tables, Um, Nothing about this would sound all that spiritual. But in Acts chapter 6, we read that Stephen wasn't disgruntled. He wasn't complaining. Instead, he was full of God's grace and power and was performing miracles. Here's a guy waiting on tables. Here's a guy, you know, helping widows and and distributing food. And yet he is performing miracles. He is serving in such a way that God's power and grace is flowing through him. And as you all know, the end result of this for Stephen was that he was stoned to death. So when we ask the question, what's in it for me? Or if we participate only when it benefits us, we will never have a church that is fully engaged. When I started as the lead pastor of this church, (laughs) you know, I really thought that I was going to do everything right. I, by that time, had been a youth pastor under three other lead pastors, and every single time there were, there were things that I was like, man, let's do this and let's do this, but because I wasn't the lead pastor, I just kind of backed off. And one of the things that I wanted to see, and one of the things I continue to want to see, is I wanted to see this church burst at the seams. I still do. I just do not believe that the church should focus on staying small, that the church should always be growing But one of the things that I have not done well is connecting with people. I focus too much on other things. I focus too much on things I read in books. And one of the the realizations I had just recently is that although the things I was focused on were good things, I was focused on the wrong thing at the wrong time at the wrong place. So I'm not saying that the things that I was focused on were negative, but they, they just didn't fit necessarily at that moment in that time. So I'm telling you today as your lead pastor that I can do better and I will do better. 
that one of the things that we as leaders and as, as staff and as board members and as, as leaders of this church is we need to focus on connecting with one another. But you cannot expect that our mission of leading, the people, <laughs> leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ will be accomplished only through your leaders. This is something the entire church must get behind. So I'm challenging you today to decide to devote yourself to the word of God. I'm asking you to devote yourself to fellowship, to interacting and caring and loving one another. I'm challenging you and asking you to devote yourself to remembering what Jesus has done for you. One of the cool things that you can do as a family is to have communion as a family. And clearly communion needs to be done as a, as a larger body. But I think sometimes for the small family to get together and say, kids, today we want to remember. We want to remember what Jesus did for us. We must never forget what Jesus has done for us. And then finally, the fourth thing is I'm asking you and I'm challenging you to devote yourself to prayer. Not only when, you know, big things come up, but to pray daily for the church, to pray daily for the word of God to go into our community, to pray daily for your pastors, to pray daily for your leaders, to pray for your church, to devote ourselves to prayer. We know that God can do whatever he wants to do, but so often God moves as a direct result of the prayers of the church. So that's my challenge. And that's what I want to leave you with. This is, where, this is the introduction. We're going to dive into this more throughout the year. But I truly believe that if we have made a decision that we will be devoted, that we will be fully devoted, that God will do more than if we are just passively attending or part of the church. That if we are fully devoted to what God wants to do, he will accomplish it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for uh, this early church, and I know for myself, I often look back on this early church as, a, as just a prime example of what church should be like and what it could be like. So thank you for the faithfulness of these early church members and, and their obedience and their love for one another and the example that they left us. I pray, God, for our church. Oh, God, we have a fantastic church. We're so thankful for this church. You've done amazing things through this church, and you will continue to do that. But Lord, I pray that all of us here today would de commit ourselves to devoting ourselves, devoting ourselves to these four pillars that we looked at today. That this wouldn't be something that we just expect the leaders of the church or pastors of the church to do, but this would be something that we would all commit to together. Lord, we want to see what you will do. We look forward to it, and I pray that you would accomplish more, much, much more than we can even imagine or ask for. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just for closing, I just want to invite you um, throughout the week or month or year, uh, if you have feedback or comments or concerns, um, to email me or to Facebook me or to, to send me a message. I would love to hear from you. I would love to, you know, to hear what your thoughts are on some of these things. Uh, if you felt a little bit nudged today, awesome. Um, I pray that God will continue to use all of us to build this church. God bless you.